Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It's great to be back with you here on this what, Thursday afternoon here on Chai FM, Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today is Yom HaShoah. It is a day of remembrance. And we remember today so that the world will not forget. And how pertinent and appropriate it is to be remembering today on this day of remembrance. And I can only think about what a blessed community we are here indeed in South Africa. We are indeed a really fortunate Jewish community. And thank God there's a lot of good things that do happen in this community. And I feel blessed that I could be part of this just came back from this amazing Pesach retreat that we had out in Rustenburg at the Hunter's Rest Hotel and spent time with members of the community and with many visitors from overseas. And everyone keeps remarking about what a special community we are. And I think it's important that we don't take for granted the blessings that our community possesses. Today, I want to focus specifically on the events that happened on the last day of Pesach when a community was in their shul getting ready to remember, to do the Yisker Memorial Prayer. And what happened was the tragic terrorist attack where one of the worshippers, one of the congregants, Lori K. was gunned down, was murdered. And the rabbi, Rabbi Goldstein, the rabbi of the Chabad Center there, had his fingers, his fingers shot off. And you think about how ironic that is. When I was a kid, Rabbi Goldstein's father, famously known as Uncle Yassi, used to conduct the rallies at 770 Eastern Parkway, which is the Lubavitch World Headquarters. And I used to love going to those rallies because Uncle Yassi was everyone's favorite storyteller. And he would tell great stories. And he composed the song. And the song, very famously, as kids, we used to sing it. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. And then he would take his index finger and he would point up, up, down, down, right, left, and all around, here, there, and everywhere. It's where he can be found. And I think, interestingly, how here Rabbi Goldstein's son, who I believe made mention of this in his op-ed in the New York Times, refers specifically to this, that that very finger with which he points in all directions to God's presence is no longer there. But I think that he has an eternal reminder wherever he is of God's presence in his life. And as he wrote in his op-ed and said at the eulogy of Lori Kay at her funeral, is that here he is on borrowed time. He is somehow fortunate, lucky that God says it's not your time yet. Indeed, he was heroic and courageous and stood up there in front of the others at this assembly in the shul and faced the gunman eye to eye with a terrorist. And lucky for him, the gun jammed after shooting off his fingers. So this was quite miraculous. And he was able to chase off the terrorist with the assistance of congregants of his who were off-duty border patrol officer and a police officer who were able to, as you could see the details in the news reports, and then to rescue the children. But this is miraculous, no doubt, because from the terrorists' perspective, their intention was to do a lot more harm, to kill a lot more Jews. And only for one reason, because they are Jews. Why else choose a synagogue or shul exactly six months to the day 
of the previous terrorist attack in Pittsburgh in October, which was actually the weekend of the Shabbos project. Strangely for myself, we spent the Shabbos project doing the Shabbos retreat, guess where, at Hunter's Rest Hotel. And after Shabbos, we were having a special program when we heard about the incident, the terrorist attack at the Shul in Pittsburgh. So this Matzah Yamtev, which was Saturday night, Shabbos, I also, you know, I was thinking about what happened last time, and I chose to check my phone, the news, right after Shabbos, just to see what's going on. Thank God, no terrorist attacks, everything is good. And then in the middle of our Maimuna celebration, we had a very nice, beautiful chametz pizza, pasta, Mexican fiesta, and we heard about the tragic news. And of course, to me, it, it's ironic. Of course, there's got to be some kind of message and lesson to ourselves. And I want to invite the community, everyone who's listening now, that this evening, one of our guest speakers from the Pesach retreat, Shimona Tsikernik, who is a South African Jew living in America today, but a globe-trotting speaker. She's known as the Kabbalah coach. And tonight she's going to talk about faith under fire. This is her topic because she is going to discuss exactly what it means, what we could learn from these situations when we're put to the test. And I think that's something you don't want to, you don't want to miss out on because Jewish wisdom teaches us that we got to fight evil and darkness with goodness, with light. And here is our response from a Jewish perspective. The shooter, you got to understand, was trying. What was the shooter's, what was the shooter's point? What would, it, what did they want to do? I mean, there's no words. You think about the shock, the racing emotions that we've got after experiencing what happened there, after knowing that it's not just one shul they were after, but in a sense, it's all of us they're after. And so the Jewish response is that they wanted us, they wanted the shul to be a place of terror, and our task, our job, is to resolve to make everyone feel even more at home and uplifted at shul. And so, personally, I know we're going to obviously do our part in securing the shul better. That's important for us. That is what we ought to do. But at the same time, we have to do whatever it takes to go to shul. They wanted us to be scared of being Jewish. They want to intimidate us. we got to be prouder to be Jewish. So I really want to invite everyone to come tonight to Shimona's talk. Shimona is a world-renowned speaker. She's known as the Kabbalah coach. And she is going to talk about how we can maintain faith in the face of adversity, and the power of our mind to shape our lives in these types, in these moments. And I think it's really important that you come. I do believe she will be on in the next show with Rabbi Shishler in Fresh Thinking, where you could hear a little more from her and then join us tonight, where she's going to talk to us about how we could grow and learn from this type of an incident, how we could find meaning in these moments of crisis as a community, as individuals, and obviously it's inevitable that they're suffering and how to deal with this, but I think if we could learn the learn the lessons, the message of how to find meaning and purpose in these moments of crisis, that would be profound, and I want to invite everybody, it's going to take place 7 p.m., this evening at Santon Central Shul, the Jewish Learning Institute, Chabad's Goodness and Kindness Center, at 7 p.m. with Shimon Atzikarnik. There's no fee. Just come join us for the special event and find out how you can nourish your faith, how you could put your pain in perspective and even convert that darkness into light. This will be Shimona's topic tonight. It's called 
faith under fire. And please do join us for this special event. And what comes to my mind is how we were able to break that news to our children. How do we tell our children about this? What is the message we have to give our kids? Now, certainly from a psychological perspective, whether children need counseling, it's important to give it to them because I hope the schools will know how to articulate and, and convey the message to the children in an appropriate way. I know I had to tell my children I felt it's better they should learn it from their parents, from their father, from their mother, rather than just hearing about it in school at some kind of memorial or whatever the, sh- the school might be doing to commemorate this event. But I think if a child needs counseling, children shouldn't be afraid to go to shul. Children should know that you come to shul and it will be safe. A lot of people are saying, we're going to stand with the Jews of Poway. We're going to stand with the the victims of Sri Lanka and New Zealand and Pittsburgh and wherever else terrorist attacks happened. Just last week, Chabad Rabbi and Rebetz and the couple and their assistants in Kenya were attacked. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism is on the rise around the world. But we can't just stand in solidarity with these people in lip service. we got to also stand with them in whatever way we can. And to quote my friend Rabbi Josh Green, I saw on his Facebook posting, he said something very profound. Don't just stand with these victims. Why don't you stand outside? Do a protection roster at your shul. Take a shift and stand outside your shul. Be there to protect the community. Be there to protect your family. Be there to protect your loved ones. I know I sometimes struggle encouraging people to do this. Not everyone has the training. Not everyone knows how to do this. In fact, somebody said to me the other day, he doesn't want to risk his life in protecting the shul. So I say to anyone who doesn't want to risk their life, others are risking their lives. We all are standing at risk. But you know, when we stand out there and risk our lives to protect our community, to protect our children, as Rabbi Goldstein did, he risked his life. He had his fingers blown away. But he was able to save other people, congregants and children in his community by risking his life. Lori Kay risked her life. Sadly so. She lost it. And indeed, it takes some Asuras Nefesh. It takes a little bit of risk to lose one's life. And we really have to do our part. I want to speak about something else we can do on this day of remembrance, on a day that we recall, that we remember the suffering the loss of six million of our people and millions of others who perished in the Shoah. And we say never again, but sadly, the world has forgotten. The world has changed in many ways, and it's potentially possible for it to happen yet again when it's not even 80 years since the Holocaust happened. My father was a child during the Holocaust, growing up in Russia. My grandparents on my mother's side, they... My grandparents were in Bells, which is Poland. And in the 1930s, they saw what was happening. They escaped. They moved to what was then British Mandate Palestine, to the Holy Land, to Eretz Israel. However, not all of the family did. And both of my grandparents on my mother's side, my maternal grandparents, siblings, both of them lost siblings who stayed behind because they thought it could never happen to them. Life was comfortable and convenient for them in Poland. In fact, some of my grandparents' siblings went to Israel at the time, and it wasn't easy to be a chalutz, to be from the pioneers of the newly established, or it wasn't even yet established as an independent Holy Land for the Jewish people. There were many challenges facing them in Israel, and some of them went back to Europe, and sadly, we don't know whatever happened to them, but they perished, and we say today, never again. We don't forget what happened. 
My father was a, only a young boy when the Holocaust started. And he was in Moscow. Russia had its own challenges. And his family had to move them from Moscow to a place near Afghanistan. I believe it's a, a city called Samarkand. I think it's in Uz- Uzbekistan. And there it was a little bit more of a safe haven. And when the war was over and they knew they had to continue to move on forward, my father, God bless him, he should be healthy and well, went to Germany. They actually went through Poland and wound up in Bergen-Belsen, which was a DP camp after the war. And from there, after spending some time in that region... And in Germany, in an area called Putting, took some time till they were able to arrange things and they got onto the Exodus ship going to Israel. I one day watched the film and read a little bit of the novel about Exodus. And I told my father, ooh, it looked like so much fun. And he said, no, they were squished like sardines and there were all types of diseases on the boat. Many of the people weren't well and sadly, there were people who died on the boat. It wasn't fun. And then... They weren't allowed entry into Israel. The British didn't allow them to disembark from the boat. So they had to then go to Cyprus. This was no fun for people in those days. My father was already 9, 10 years old at that time. And these are vivid memories in his life. Whether it was the Holocaust itself or the consequences, the results, the things that happened from it, they were very difficult times. One of the memories I want to share with you, and we'll have time perhaps I could share a story as well, is of my grandmother of blessed memory. I remember her so vividly, and I had great times with her. She passed away in 2004, and I was already in my 20s, and I really loved, her name was Baba Sara. She told me many, many stories, and perhaps I'll have a chance to share some of those stories with you. But in a sense, I'd love to share with you first the one of her favorite pastimes, it's just something we could do. Whether you're standing outside your shul, and this Shabbos we encourage everyone to go to shul, not just to stand outside, but to be inside. And certainly people should be doing their security shifts, those who need to stand outside. But we got to be proud and go to shul and be there inside, not to be scared, not to be intimidated, not to be put off of shul. One of her favorite pastimes when she wasn't at shul was reciting to Hillam. And therefore I want to share with you a little bit about the project that we have Chabad House, and you may have noticed it, they have, we have uh, billboards all over town, there's a psalm for that. And it's an important, it's important for us to tap into the book of Tehillim to realize the prayers, King David composed many of those prayers, there were other great sages, if you read the Tehillim, the 150 chapters, you'll see each of the books, each of the chapters of Tehillim, who they were composed by, and compiled together in this book. And you think about King David, what he would write in the book, I mean, David HaMelech, great king of Israel, how this individual who had his ups and downs in life, and this was like his diary, this was his personal journal, where he would describe the good times, the better times, and the difficult times, all in the book of Tehillim. And when you're going through whatever challenges you go through, it's important that you could tap into the book of Tehillim, and you could say to yourself, Read those words. Read the words of David Amalek. Read the words of the other great composers all compiled together in this book of Psalms. And you could say to yourself, how did they go through those challenging times and pour out their hearts to God? And sometimes quetch a complaint to God. You're entitled to do so. Some of our greatest ancestors, going all the way back to Abraham Avinu, our great patriarch Abraham, complained to God when he thought it was appropriate to do so. Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, did so when he saw the evil happening to 
our people in Egypt. And who knows if our exodus would have happened the way it did, if not for Moshe's great leadership and standing up to Hashem. Not only then, but even throughout their journeys in the desert. Tap into the book of Tehillim, into Psalms, and you'll see how King's David, King David's diary and journal, how it's written, his life's personal challenges, ups and downs. And perhaps there's a message and lesson in there for yourself that you could tap into and find solace and comfort in your own difficult and challenging times. So the message of prayer of Tehillim is indeed God listens. And that's why King David poured out his heart to God. And you too can do so as well. So my message is today that as you are getting prepared, as you're remembering Yom HaShoah, remembering those who've passed on, those who've perished, those who were butchered, killed, murdered ruthlessly, is that indeed, thank God, the Jewish people, we don't just survive, but indeed we thrive. And here we are still to this very day. And God looks after us. There's a famous story about Pavarotti, who was once doing a beautiful rendition in English or Italian, who knows what language, Latin of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And everyone applauded him after the conclusion of his recital. And after that, an old Yiddish mama who said to Hillem, her grandchildren asked her to say it in her beautiful way. And she gets up and she just says the words of Tehillim, plain and simple. And afterwards, you could see how the people are so moved, choking with emotion. And Pavarotti asks this old Yiddish mama, why is it that when I say the psalm, when I sing the psalm, you know, the people just, they just, you know, they, they applaud. But when you said it, you could see that it got to the court, to the heart, to the soul of them. And her response was, Pavarotti, you know how to sing the psalm, but I know the shepherd. Every one of us has a relationship with the shepherd, and we ought to do our part and to reach out. And when it hurts, you cry. That's what we got to do. I want to conclude with perhaps one more important message. I recall a very famous story about the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Mayor Kagan, the famous teacher Firstly, the Rav of Radin, but also most known for his campaigns, the Chafetz Chaim Foundation, at speaking about Lashon Hara, that one should not speak slander or gossip about others. Of course, he was also an author of multiple books, including the Mishnah Bura. But he says that in my youth, I thought I could change the whole world. And you look at this man. He wasn't a man who was very tall in stature. In fact, at least from the pictures and videos I've seen of him, he passed away in the 1930s at a very ripe old age, close to 100 years old. Yet, not being very tall, he did achieve and accomplish much. But he describes how when he was younger, more ambitious, more enthusiastic and excited, he said, I thought I could change the whole world. And then he realized that was maybe a little bit too ambitious. So he decided, perhaps not the whole world, maybe just, maybe just the southern, maybe just the northern hemisphere. Realize, okay, that, that's also like the whole world. Maybe just my continent, Europe, where I live. And when he saw that was also too much, he thought perhaps just Eastern Europe where he lived. And then he narrowed it down to just Poland, the country where he presided as a rabbi. And then he realized maybe just his region, maybe just his province, maybe just his city, until he narrowed it down just to his community where he was the Rav. But even still, he said, he realized he couldn't change others. And then 
he thought maybe his family. Until he realized the only one he could change is himself. When he realized that, he said, he authored his books and he began to give his teachings. And from there came tremendous change to the whole entire world. We think about what's happening right now and what's going on. We think about what changes we can make. And people think to themselves, what difference could I make? I'm just a small little individual. Who am I? I'm right here in Joburg. We have a macrocosmic world and there's all types of craziness happening in the world as we've been seeing. So I want to share with you something pertinent and relevant. If you look at the Torah portion we're reading this week, we read the portion of Ahremot here in South Africa or outside of Israel. In Israel, we're already holding the portion of Kedoshim. And what is the narrative in this week's portion? We read about the service in the temple that was done on the day of Yom Kippur. On the holiest day of year of the year, the day, the day of atonement, a day of personal self introspection, a day of reflection, a day of thinking about our deeds of the past year, about our life, about how we conduct our lives, and what difference we could make and how we could change, and realizing that change must come from within, and then when we change ourselves, we could change the world. And we look at one of the rituals that was done, that was performed on Yom Kippur, is the ritual of the two goats. One was brought as a carbon. It was a special lottery that was performed in the temple. And this lottery, two goats were brought. One, the lottery ticket picked out said La Hashem. This was being offered as a carbon, as a sacrifice to God. And the second lotto was another picked out. And this one was La Azazel. This was going to be a goat that is famously known as the scapegoat, upon which was cast all of the sins of the Jewish people. This one was sent down a cliff, down a mountain, which atoned for the sins of the Jewish people. And we think about this, this bizarre, strange ritual. And we think about two things about sin. What is it about sin? You know, there's guilt, there's an element of guilt that I've done something wrong, which is actually positive, which could generate results and change and fix one up. And then there's shame. Shame is embarrassment. People found out that I've done something wrong. A lot of people commit suicide because now their reputation has been tarnished. And once there's a, their reputation is gone, they feel like their entire life is gone. People come, become suicidal from that. The Torah tells us that shame is unhealthy, guilt is healthy. Because from guilt, you can grow. From guilt, you can become a better person. And that's the concept of Teshuvah. Teshuvah tells us that the person changes. And that's why in Tehillim, we see one of the famous verses is where King David says, Yitamu chata'im min ha'aretz. It's not the sinner, it's not the sinners, it's not the individuals that King David prays for the downfall of, but rather of their sins, of their wrongdoing. That is what we pray should be eliminated. And so, I think about this day, about remembering, about remembering all the terrible things that happened in the past and in the present. And the only way that could change is if we and ourselves become aware and reflect and make those changes. But we have to effect actual change. And the change starts with ourselves. And then we could look at others. And instead of the Jewish people being the scapegoat of the world, being that Selah Azazel, 
You look at the very word Azazel, as Azazel. You have here this A's, the goat. Azal is being, is being sent off. We ought not be the scapegoat. The world has to recognize and learn. Hitler, Yamach, Shemai, focused on the conscience that the Jewish people made the world aware of. And if we are aware, if that conscience, if we make those changes and be the light unto the nations that we ought to be, we talk about being a chosen nation, chosen for what? It's not chosen for suffering as you famously seen on Fiddler on the Roof. But we have our mission and purpose in the world as every nation has their unique purpose and mission in this world. But we as the Jewish people have to be that light. We have to spread that light. And we have to be a beacon of light to the people of the world. And the change has to start within ourselves. And when we are aware of what change has to be has to be made, we can inspire others. But these changes have to be real concrete we have Hamaisahu We're studying Perky Avot ethics of our fathers this week. We have to acknowledge that change has to be the main thing is action. So what kind of action are we going away with today? Well, as Jews, we have to be more Jewish. And maybe like we've spoken about, there's a psalm for that. Read more Tehillim. Connect with God. Pray to God. Be part of our campaign at Chabad House. Go to our website, ChabadSouthAfrica.org, and tap into the Tehillim campaign and see how you could be part of this and put more Tehillim's prayers into the hands of others. And maybe there's other types of action you could take. Our sages tell us Torah, Tefillah, Tzedakah. We gotta be more Jewish. We gotta study our Torah and know what it means to be Jewish. We gotta pray. Get into your Tehillim, go more often to shul, be more engaged and connect with God, connect with your family. And then we got to do good deeds and good deeds have multiple parts to it. You've seen our art campaign. You've seen the, you've seen our posters. Call your mom, do a good deed, reach out to another, reach out to a neighbor. They might not be of the same denomination, the same faith as you, but we could create a lot more goodwill in the world by reaching out to others who are out there and creating that more fostering a more loving universe by reaching out to others and making a difference. And indeed, we got to be more secure. So our shuls have to put, we don't want to have our shuls becoming airports. We're going to have to go through metal detectors. Well, then we got to secure our shuls. And I implore everyone, my own community included, everyone's got to get some training from the CSO and the CSO offers constant training. And we got to do what we can, not just to stand with the victims of terror, but to stand outside our shuls and to stand inside our shuls and to protect our shuls, our schools, our community centers to do what we can. Let me conclude with a little story about change. You see, there was once a baker and a dairy man in the, sh- in the community and the baker was suing the milkman because he said that he noticed that the butter he was getting was no longer a 500 mil pack, it was 450 mils. And he said, that's unfair, he's jipping me, he's cheating, he's cheating me of the butter he's, that's due to me. Well, the milkman couldn't afford a lawyer, so he represented himself in court. And in his defense, he says, well, I use a regular scale. They right away ordered a scale to come to the court. They checked the measurements of the scale. Well, it seems accurate. What could be wrong? He says, I'll tell you what. Every day when I measure, you know, in order to do the measurements properly, you have to have a weight on one side of the scale in order to in order to balance out the other side of the scale. He says, well, the weight that I bring is usually I take a packet of flour that I get from the baker and it's ostensibly supposed 
to be a 500 ml packet of flour. So I always use that packet of flour to measure the butter. And with that, they realized, indeed, it was the baker who is cheating the milkman, not the other way around. And all I want to say is, we always got to look inward. Lots of the speakers we hear here today at the Yom HaShoah commemoration, remembrance at West Park, everyone speaks about what we got to do and how we look around the world. My message is, as much as we look around the world, we also got to look inside ourselves. So the Jewish community, we got to band together. We got to be stronger. We got to be more united. And we got to do the various things we discussed to become a stronger, more unified community in every way possible. It all begins at home. It all begins with ourselves. As Hillel famously says, If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, then ma'ani. And remember the conclusion, if not now, a Masai, then when? Now, friends, I want to join you. I want to invite you once again to join us this evening with Kabbalah coach Shimona Tzakernik at Santon Central Shul, 8 Stella Street, Santon, Chabad's Goodness and Kindness Center, where you are welcome to hear Shimona's talk of faith under fire and to glean inspiration how to come out of these events for the Yom HaShoah, this day of remembrance, and from the terrorist attacks that have happened, and what we can learn from it, to grow from it, how to transform the darkness, metamorphosize it into light. I'm looking forward to see you this evening. Tell your friends, 7 p.m. today at Santon Central Shul. Looking forward to see you then. Till then, stay safe, stay well. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next with Rabbi Shishler and Shimon Tzakarnik right here on 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul.